Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Michael Yasui has supported independent tech news directly for five years. You can be like Michael. Become a DTNS member right now at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Monday, March 18th, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And uh, from elsewhere in the L.A. County area, I'm Roger Chang, the show's producer. Our intern Amos is alongside as well. Good day, Amos. Hello. We are uh, going to talk about some fintech stuff uh, later on, so, sort of from the perspective of here's some stuff you guys should be aware of that maybe you're not aware of. It's not only a big part of the tech industry, but it has effects that sometimes people aren't even allowed to talk about. So let's start with a few tech things you should know. Apple announced updated iPads on Monday. A new iPad mini has an A12 Bionic processor, support for the older lightning-connected Apple Pencil, Touch ID, and a true tone display starting at $399. A new iPad Air has an A12 processor, Apple's Pencil support, Touch ID, and a smart keyboard support starting at $499. Both use Apple's lightning connector and offer Wi-Fi or LTE models. Facebook said it took down 1.5 million videos worldwide of footage from the Christchurch New Zealand shooting within 24 hours of the attack. 1.2 million of them were blocked at upload. The Washington Post reports YouTube found its detection of video was ineffective, leading YouTube chief product officer Neil Moen to bypass human moderators and use an AI solution to quickly block videos. Moen also decided to temporarily disable searching for recent uploads and keyword completions. In its forthcoming IPO, Lyft will offer 30.8 million shares at $62 to $68 each, seeking to raise a total of $2.1 billion, according to a new regulatory filing. According to sources speaking to Bloomberg, the company would be valued between $21 billion and $23 billion post-IPO. Let's talk a little bit about MySpace. Unless you already saw this story, you probably weren't expecting me to say that. But music, (laughs) photos, videos, anything you uploaded to MySpace between 2003 and 2015 may no longer be accessible due to what the company told the BBC was the fault of a server migration project. Now, that's news today because people noticed 
Ars Technica reports MySpace admitted the fact to some users seven or eight months ago, but not that many people uh, really cared, I guess. Uh, Back in its heyday, MySpace was a bit like SoundCloud, where smaller artists uploaded music, often found followings on the platform. Previously, the company said it was working on a fix when music links on MySpace stopped working. If you're worried this could happen somewhere else where you've stored a lot of media, Cory Doctorow at Boing Boing uh, notes that the Internet Archive hosts anything freely distributable for free forever and has mirrors for their servers in California, Egypt, and Amsterdam. So That sounds like something, Tom, you you might remind people as well. Yeah, well, I, I think Corey Gactero may be the person who tipped me <laughs> off to archive.org years ago. But uh, but yeah, I am frequently telling people about archive.org, especially if you're a small podcaster just getting Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then Stripe tap to pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, Visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone started. It's a great place to host your podcast. I haven't used MySpace in, in many years. Uh, I, I, I was active on it back in the day uh, before Facebook came along. And, I, you know, I actually sort of dwindled my use on MySpace, not really to jump over to Facebook. I was just there was a lull that I had where I think a lot of people literally left MySpace for Facebook. So I was a little bit different in that regard. Didn't host a lot of content there can't even remember if there were photos that were on MySpace of mine that weren't elsewhere. Uh, so it doesn't totally matter, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a big part of, 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 of a lot of people's lives, social lives, certainly for a long time. And it's kind of funny that the company said for so long, yeah, we're working on it. And then finally it was like, yeah. Right, well, and archive.org famously has the, uh, the, uh, um, uh, the project that will let you go back and look at what websites looked like back years ago. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, Theoretically, some of that stuff might still be available that way. Salvageable, yeah. But no one told the archive project that this was happening, unlike Google Plus, where archive the archive.org is out there actively trying to save as much of Google Plus as possible before it gets taken down by Google. They didn't know this happened because MySpace didn't tell anybody, which makes a lot of people wonder, was it a mistake? Or was it just not caring and saying, I don't think anybody cares about this old stuff. It sure is a whole lot easier to migrate the server if we just delete it. 
That would, would be quite be an assumption. Not that I would put it past any company to nah. just be like, eh, we don't care anymore. But um, yeah, I, I can't imagine that usage was high enough that they thought that there would be too much outrage. But there would be outrage if this happened to Facebook. Now, of course, Facebook is a completely different company. It's a whole new world that we're living in. But Billions I think of people use it. it right. And, <laughs> and, and, and Corey and, and others you know, make good points that, sure, this happened to MySpace, which is not in wide use anymore. But if it did happen to a social network or or some sort of a platform that you do have a lot of media on, uh, you know, w- what's your alternative? Yeah. You, know, you, you kind of want to assume that this will happen to your favorite network and and have a backup plan. It may not even be a good reminder, but it's a reminder that if you're not storing your stuff, there's a risk it could go away. A study sponsored by Apple assessing whether the pulse sensor on Apple Watch Series 1, 2, and 3 can pick up rhythm irregularities found only 34% of participants received an alert of an irregular pulse on their watch and then went on to have a confirmed case of atrial fibrillation. But the study preceded Apple's Series 4 watch, which includes an electrocardiograph and features monitoring heart activity. The study monitored almost 420,000 people, so it's pretty big sample size, 25,000 of whom were 65 years old or older, generally the highest risk of age group. The watches prompted users to set up a telemedicine consultation with a doctor that was involved in the study if something was detective. And then the notified users could then get a separate ECS patch to record their heart's electrical rhythms for comparison with watch data. Yeah, um, uh, this this is there's a little bit of debate over whether the 34% is good or bad. Uh, if detecting a sign of atrial fibrillation because it is so intermittent doesn't mean you would necessarily find it again the next week. Uh, right. So that's not a big deal. Some folks are saying, you know what, for a wearable watch that also is, you know, meant for listening to your podcast, uh, not bad. Other doctors are saying, yeah, not bad, but... If you don't, you don't want people relying on this and having a bunch of false positives and flooding your doctor's office uh, with people who are anxious and upset, and then it turns out to be nothing. Uh, so it is kind of on that border of whether this is entirely useful medically or not. But that said, this is a study to kind of say, hey, was the previous version of the watch good at this? It's pretty close. Maybe the next version will be better, uh, or maybe somebody else will come along with something that's even better out there. But it's progress. It's it's good progress towards being able to monitor your own heart health more easily, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I definitely side with the uh, false positive is better than not detecting something that could be extremely dangerous for my health. I definitely uh, I, I empathize uh, or sympathize, I guess, with doctors who you know who might be unnecessarily busy with a bunch of people, <laughs> hypochondriacs who are like, "My watch said I'm going to die." Yeah. But and 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 that is that is a really valid point. I mean, you know, there's there's no reason to you know to scare people if you don't have to. But as the, as you know, the article pointed out, the study was conducted before Apple's um, series four, which is designed to be better at this type of thing. 34% to me is okay. It's less than half of the time. Correct. But well, 34% of the time someone experienced the atrial fibrillation again within the next week. That's right. actually, you know, because atrial fibrillation is so intermittent. And I said, as I said, that's actually not, not small. 
Uh, because right. people who legitimately felt it might not have it again for another week uh, and would have this would have been an accurate reading, but it was missed. So it's uh, it, there's a lot of stats that can lead you astray if you try to use common sense. You really do. This is why you need medical practitioners to help you guide through this to go like, well, 34 percent might not sound like big, but it's, it's bigger than it seems. Also, false positives can be dangerous. Uh, if if you get a false positive in certain conditions, not necessarily this one, uh, they can lead to treatment methods that cause side effects that you wouldn't mm-hmm. have needed to experience otherwise. So you do want to get this stuff right. That said, I, I don't think this is a, a bad thing at all because it's research, because it's saying, hey, let's let's look at this. And there aren't too many downsides to it. Yeah, it, it, I think overall we seem to be heading in the right direction. Watches are getting better at helping us stay healthy, and that's good. OneWeb has raised $1.25 billion in funding in order to assure it will launch its global high-speed broadband network in 2021. They said, it, we, we always targeted 2021, but having this latest round, make sure we're going to do it. Uh, OneWeb successfully launched its first satellites last month. Investors include SoftBank, the government of Rwanda, Coca-Cola, Qualcomm, Richard Branson's Virgin Group, among many others. OneWeb said it can now start monthly satellite launches by the end of the year. It needs at least 650 units in orbit for minimum global coverage. They think they might want to have around 2,000 up there. And they're not the only company doing it. SpaceX, uh, probably the most famous that has ambitions to do this, and Luxembourg-based Leosat, uh, also pursuing this. But OneWeb has the first mover advantage, whether that's good or not. We talk about how it isn't always necessarily good. But in something as difficult as, as satellite uh, broadcast, it might be. And the reason someone like the government of Rwanda wants to back this is it's targeted at rural areas and developing countries where it is difficult to roll out infrastructure, but the benefits of having connectivity can be great. It's too bad that the companies can't all band together to provide better coverage right out of the gates. Well, but that's, you know, okay. you could say that like, you know, cell carrier. But then, you know, then wouldn't you be sitting there saying like, why don't we have more competition? There's only this one company and they all provided it. it this is just I a really suppose. complicated thing, I think. Yeah, uh, I, I, I sort of imagined like satellites with Coca-Cola stickers on the side, but you know, you're not going to be able to see any of this stuff. Um, it's something that, you know, Coca-Cola can say we're providing, uh, you know, internet access to, to, you know, every inch of the world. But, but yeah, I, 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 I have to admit, I haven't thought about OneWeb in a while, but it certainly has, you know, b- big companies behind it. And quite honestly, SpaceX hasn't talked much about their satellite initiative uh, lately, at least not anything that, you know, we've covered on the show or that that's that, that's really jumped out to me. Well, SpaceX is, is busy with manned missions, right? So yeah, I'm not I'm not going to fault them uh, for that. They they have other ambitions as well. And they want to get the, the Dragon capsule uh, working uh, and and start to do regular private launches, and then they'll start launching their own satellites. So I have no doubt we'll be hearing from them shortly. Somebody else we'll be hearing from shortly is Apple. The New York Times reports more on the alleged culture clash between TV and movie producers and Apple. One new complaint being reported is that Apple is too controlling in how its products are shown. <laughs> Shocker. Can't imagine. There's also a reprise of the complaints that Apple is uncommunicative about release dates and marketing plans. Previously, the Wall Street Journal reported that Apple was resistant to content deemed mature in the programming it's commissioning. And one week on March 25th, we will likely find out at least a little bit more directly from Apple about its two dozen series and handful of movies in the works. Yeah, we'll be talking about this. This, uh, next Monday, I'm sure. Uh, but 
I did find it really struck a chord. Having done some sponsored videos in the past, uh, worked at companies like CNET uh, that had uh, vendor-involved videos being produced around me, and the particularness that clients can have when they're paying for something in how their product is is put. I, just pulling something out of popular culture right now, you see the Microsoft Surface everywhere, right? I, I'm sure there's lots of discussions with the NFL about how to properly show the surface being used on the sidelines. And certainly in more controlled circumstances where the surface is put into a show, I bet Microsoft has all kinds of opinions about how that's supposed to work. Now imagine that it's not just Microsoft paying for placement of their products, but Microsoft actually directly funding the content itself and showing up and saying, hey, Stephen, uh, we noticed you used the iPhone in your amazing story episode, but you didn't really show off to best advantage. Like, oh, that's... That's that. That's a fight that was bound to happen for sure. Yeah, I'm also uh, impressed that Apple has possibly 24 series in the works, and I know that they're not all going to launch on the same day. That would be crazy, but that's a lot of content. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm. I, I bring it on. Let's. Let's. I need a new series. Actually, I don't. <laughs> I can't do the <laughs> yeah, ones I'm watching already, but no I want a new series. Lately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stanford announced the launch of the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence. It's an interdisciplinary hub for researchers and students to work toward a human set of values for AI and as a resource for politicians and policymakers to understand more about how AI actually works. The Institute aims to raise a billion dollars for research, cloud processing, and luring talent from other startups to work at it. Advisory board includes uh, former Alphabet uh, or Google uh, chairman Eric Schmidt, LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman, former Yahoo chief executive Marissa Meyer, Yahoo co-founder Jerry Yang. If you're like, hey, I wondered what all those people were up to lately. Well, now you know they're working on the board at least part of the time uh, for the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence. You know, OpenAI was started with similar uh, ideas of like helping us explore ethically uh, viable uses for AI. So it's good to see more of these kinds of organizations coming into being. What what would we think besides ethics, which in general people agree on, you know, codes of ethics in general? Around AI, though, that that's where it does get debatable. But sure, we yeah, we, we yeah, well, I guess well, it's we fair talk to about say, a human based value system. Yeah. I wonder, you know, ethics aside, like what are we talking about? Well, I, I that's the thing. Like it, you say we all agree, like oh, murder bad, right? Well, I said in general, yeah. yeah. Some people think murder is cool, but, but not many. <laughs> but but I think it's fair to say. Most people we care about thinks murder is bad. Uh, yes, it's it's the edge cases where it's like, yeah, but what if we used AI to remotely monitor the guns? And someone's like, no, not okay at all. Like you don't mm-hmm. want them in any way connected to a firearm. Where others are like, look, monitoring the guns and allowing someone that's human to come in and make sure before they start firing. I mean, that's okay. Or if a human says, oh, put that spread pattern over there against that enemy, that's okay, right? I think that those those little border cases is where it gets weird. And and that's just I'm just bringing up military because that's the easiest one for people to wrap their heads about around. That's probably not even the majority of these conversations. They're about using it so that you don't manipulate people, right? I mean, that's one of the big fears is that AI will get so smart that it can just trick me by you know maneuvering the levers of what I like and my motivations into doing things that are against my best interests. Also, not one, but two former Yahoo folks as sitting at the board. Yeah, yeah. 
or are they have they been replaced by artificial intelligence? I always knew Jerry Yang was a little <laughs> off. He was just a little too smart. <laughs> uh, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. E-commerce has driven up the value of card payment processing. You see all around you, easier than ever, instant payment options like Venmo, for instance. Uh, that's the most popular. Billion-dollar companies you've likely never heard of are raking in the profits because of this increased use, and it's also likely not great for your local community bank or federal credit union. Now, every time you tap to pay for coffee uh, or maybe send money to an overseas vendor, uh, maybe you bought something from a, a store that's in a different continent, or you bought something on eBay, even just backing us on Patreon, there are companies making money on handling the complex back end of a transaction that involves much more than your bank and whoever you're paying. Uh, we've talked in the past about how Apple Pay worked, and you start to realize when you dig into how this transaction works and where your information is going, that it is not as simple as I put in my credit card, the credit card company uh, then sends money to the to the merchant, and I pay the credit card company. There are all kinds of authorizations uh, and different companies handling different parts of those authorizations in between uh, that I know a couple of people in our audience that work in the financial industry know of, but most people don't. That's why you likely glazed over the story about Fidelity National Information Services agreeing to buy WorldPay for $35 billion, because you're like, who are they? But McKinsey predicts that global payments, this back-end system between what you see and what your merchants see, is set to reach $3 trillion in revenue by 2023. That's not $3 trillion in what you're sending. That's the money that these companies bring in with their cut of the transactions. That's why the industry is quickly consolidating at a time when a lot of industries are, are holding off on consolidation because of uncertainty around trade situations in the world right now. Uh, WorldPay just merged with Vantiv last year uh, in advance of this new acquisition uh, that they're doing with Fidelity National Investments. Uh, and back in January, Fiserv bought a payment processor called First Data Corp for $22 billion. The other thing to realize about this is these companies have ironclad rules over how you can get your payments processed with them. So if you are a company like PayPal or even Patreon or eBay or somebody that wants to process payments through them, you have to follow their rules and you generally can't talk about it. Uh, you generally can't tell anybody if the payment processor makes you do something that the payment processor made you do it. Uh, in addition, because we're all starting to use more of these payments processors, we're keeping less money in our local bank. Now, if we're keeping our money in a big multinational bank, probably doesn't impact them as much. But your local community bank, uh, your credit union, those companies, those banks are starting to see fewer deposits and something called deposit displacement. Uh, one, one thing that accounts for this are health savings accounts. That's something we have in the U.S. where you can take a part of your paycheck and slot, sock it aside to be used for tax-free spending on your health care. But there's also those peer-to-peer payments like Venmo or Square Cash. Uh, Venmo processed $64 billion last year. Square Cash processed $30 billion last year. And a lot of times when you get the money, you just leave it there until you pay. You want to pay somebody back. You don't put it in your bank. Uh, merchant apps like the Starbucks app 
account for about $2 billion just sitting in that app waiting for you to go and use that Starbucks card to buy a coffee. Then there are things that, that may be new to you, like robo-advisor tools. Robo-advisor tools are new startup services that say, you put $1,000 here and tell us how risky you want us to be. We'll decide where to put it. A lot of uh, 401ks do this, but then other services where you can just do that with your own money. Uh, AT Carnia estimates $2 trillion will be active in that industry by 2020. There's also these new Robinhood, Acorn, Stash, Money Lion, Chime. These are all different takes on being versions of banks. They're generally not banks themselves, but they will like auto invest your money or they'll provide you more insight into your spending with the guarantee that you'll save more money because you'll know more about how you spend your money. $5.6 billion going into savings and investment apps like Acorn and Stash. $1.7 billion going into neobanks like Money Lion and Chime. Uh, point being, uh, fintech, Sarah, is mm-hmm. is not just some fancy buzzword. It's a billion-dollar industry that's happening largely out of the sight of what you do each day. Yes, and besides the whole concept of the mom and pop, whatever this is, it's a bank, and this situation, you know, is 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 being is being crushed uh, by this new technology. It's like, okay, well, that's always a little bit of a look at the how the modern world is changing things around the you know main street. However, having more options in this case is, is a a huge win for me, certainly on my life. Um, I'm, I don't use all of the services that you just listed off, but I use a lot of them. And I also have, uh, um, as of late, you you have somebody who's like, eh, I don't like Venmo. Can you cash app me? Yeah, sure. I've got that on my phone. Oh, I don't use cash app. Can you Zelle me? That uh-huh. works with my bank better. Yeah, sure. I've got that on my phone. It's like, it's a little bit of a, okay, who wants what and how do you do it? And do, do we have compatible OSs and that whole thing? There's a little bit of that going on. But for the most part, when I forget my wallet to go grab a coffee, boy, am I glad Apple Pay is at the register. And I understand that merchants sometimes have a little bit more complications on their end, sometimes more fees on their end. And yeah, I guess it's probably a, a nuisance more than anything that they can't, you know, mumble and grumble about it um, or have to jack up prices that end up being passed on to us. But I don't know. I, I find it hard to be outraged at all of the convenience that my life is enjoying with with the with the adoption of these services. And trust me, I, I'm the last person who wants you to be more outraged. Uh, that is certainly not my <laughs> point at all. Uh, my point is, you should be aware without being outraged about yeah. what's happening out there because I think a lot of folks uh, don't realize that when they're using these apps or using even just their credit card, uh, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. And when merchants do things that are odd, like say, oh, I'm not taking money from that person or that region anymore, uh, a lot of times we blame the merchants when it may be the payment processor that's decided, ah, too risky, uh, not going to take it, not going to do it. And also you can't say that it's our decision. Uh, that happens out there. And and also uh, when you want to transfer money, especially if you're doing remittances uh, overseas, the fees can vary wildly just depending on where you're sending it and what these these payment processors have decided that day is is going to be the best way to route it and charge for it. So it's a, it's a, it's a much more complex situation behind the scenes. I, I don't have an explanation of that today, but I, I just thought it would be interesting to hang on the news hook of this acquisition, the awareness that you've got tens of billions of dollars out there happening, even though it's only taking fractions of a cent from your particular transaction. 
because we have so many of these transactions happening now. The scale is gargantuan. I'm not sure when all y'all were last in a bank branch, but I was in one recently because I had to I had to take out some money and there was a time was of the essence and it was too much to do online because for security reasons there are like weekly and daily caps depending on what service you use, but most of them have 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 various caps. And you know, the place was bustling and I don't know what everybody else was doing there, but it was like I had to go into a physical bank and talk to somebody to to make what I needed to happen happen. So I don't see, you know, and I have a huge bank. I, I bank with what, like one of the most biggest banks in the world. So it's definitely not a local credit union that I was in. So it might be a little bit different in the smaller banks, but I I don't see branches going away anytime soon. They probably just will cater to more situations like the one that I was in. Well, and and for the big banks, that's very true because it is cost effective uh, to continue to operate those branches for various reasons mm-hmm. uh, uh, th- that that they can absorb the cost of because they they can do so many different things. Whereas your your credit union, uh, which may have six or seven branches, might have a harder time justifying that because they just don't have the economy of scale for it. Exactly. Hey, thanks to everybody who participates in our subreddit. Whether you have a small or a big bank, we love you the same. Submit stories and vote on them at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. If you hang out on Facebook, perhaps join our group or hang out there a little more often. Facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow. All right, let's check in with Chris Christensen, the amateur traveler, who's got a personal account this week on facial recognition in U.S. airports. Christensen from Amateur Traveler with another Tech in Travel Minute. Last week on the show, you discussed facial recognition systems in airports, and there are certainly some creepy things about that, although it's interesting to note that just last summer, facial recognition systems in the U.S. airports caught the first imposter, somebody who did not match their passport, and it was caught with an automatic system. Didn't turn out to be a terrorist or something, but it was somebody trying to sneak in the country. But I'd like to compare it with the system we had before. My son used to get stopped at security all the time because his name, Mike Christensen, which is not an uncommon name, was on the list of people who were on the no-fly list. Well, my son was 10. (laughs) And so really, just a simple look at a photograph probably would have fixed that. So maybe the old system we're replacing also had some flaws. I'm Chris Christensen. From Amateur Traveler. Yes, not all systems are perfect, for sure. That's that's really that's really interesting, Chris. Thank you for that. All right, let's uh, finish up with a couple of emails from the mailbag. Yeah, we got an email from Tony. We, you might have noticed if you watched our video version of, of Friday's show that Patrick Norton looked amazing. Well, he always looks amazing, but oh, his, yeah. his 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 the the quality of his of his picture had the rest of us kind of drooling and asking lots of questions. Um so Tony says, "I'm a Sony Sony camera user. Patrick was using a Sony camera as well. I have an A6300 for lighter photo projects and video. I also have a much more expensive full-frame Sony, but the A6000 series cameras are great." However, I wanted to point out, if you're considering one, and Tom said that he might be, the A6400 just just came out, would probably be ideal. It includes 4K, better autofocus, unlimited video recording limit with improved batter, battery efficiency, and less overheating issues. A little bit more expensive, but still very affordable as far as nice cameras go at 900 for the body only. With a kit lens, it's a little bit more, but I'd get the body only and spend a little extra cash for a nicer lens. The kit lens, not that sharp, and the small and variable maximum aperture makes it harder to use in low light. Just my unsolicited advice. Thank you, Tony. Good stuff. Thank you. 
And Andrew uh, added one thing that can get left out when discussing the breakup of Facebook, the potential breakup of Facebook and other monopolies, is the rules around their interaction after being split up. If Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram were technically three separate companies, but they still gave each other special treatment, essentially still acting as one, then nothing is gained. About a decade ago, the New Zealand government split up the country's largest telco into three, infrastructure, retail, and business wholesale. But the key was they could not give each other special deals, any wholesale rates offered to their sister retailer had to also be available to every other internet retailer. And now we have dozens of internet providers in every city, all paying dues to the infrastructure company. It's a win-win. If Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram were separate companies, it would be interesting to know what trade rules would be in place to ensure that they actually created competition. Yeah, uh, good point. Yeah, especially when the pivot to privacy from Zuckerberg last week was, I'm going to make sure Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram all interoperate on messaging. You know? Right, yeah. So one Indistinguishable, could, in fact. One could conceive that if that were to happen at post-breakup, they would have to offer that integration to other messaging apps outside of the former Facebook family. Oh, wouldn't that be? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be interesting? Oh, girl can dream. Uh, thanks to everybody who emails us, and thanks to everybody who supports DTNS. We love you all. Yes, our goal each month is to get one more patron than last month, and you could be the person to put us over the top. If you're not already a member of DTNS, you can get an ad-free RSS feed, special episodes from myself on how we do the show, special episodes looking back on the tech news of the past. We looked back at March 2014 uh, last week for the co-executive producers. Find out all about it and sign up at patreon.com slash DTNS. If you've got a question, you got a comment, you got a burning grape, we'll take them. Feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com is where to email us. We're live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern 2030 UTC. And you can find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Patrick Beja. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.